I mean, let there be a thousand blossoms blooming as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. It is feared that the Prime Minister has done. Fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Well, again, uh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. I tell you what, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bug. <laughs> G'day everyone and welcome to Cooked, a per capita podcast where we look at some of the weird, wonderful and absolutely batshit wild things that have happened in Australia's history. My name of course is Shirley Jackson, I'm a political economist and director here at the Centre for New Industry here at Per Capita and as always I'm joined by one of our research economists, Sam Ibrahim. Hey. And our producer, Rebecca Connell. Hello. How are we doing today? Good. Excited yeah. to get weird. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, now, Bex, uh, you told us that we're doing something weird and dumb, I believe, were the two descriptors that you wanted to throw to us this week. I feel like uh, the person that we're going to talk about would be very offended if we just regarded him as dumb. Um, <laughs> but the overall story just comes across as me, to me as kind of absurd. But the show is about... Cooked things, what is more cooked than the patriarchy? That's very, very true. Mm. Yeah. We are the worst. <laughs> we are the worst. <laughs> and as you may or may not know, we have a new king. Do we? Yeah, but it's not King Philip. Oh, I thought you meant king oh. of the patriarchy. Oh. No, I mean like <laughs> actual. Oh, actual king. Actual okay, cool, king. cool, cool. Right. Yep, yes. yep, yep. I mean, there's, there's the two patriarchies, right? Yep. But no, we have a new king of Victoria and his name is Jim Penman. Amazing. And if you don't know who Jim is, you've definitely seen him. Like there is nary a suburban street that hasn't been visited by the green and yellow bearded face stenciled on numerous trucks, vans and trailers. (laughs) I am talking about Jim of Jim's Jim's mowing. Amazing. So he's our new king? Yes, he uh, he made that announcement a little while ago, but we'll get to that. Amazing. Wait, this was self-declaration? This was self-declaration, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, isn't all kings kind of still like, he's just deciding that you get to be a king, right? At least, like, they have, they they, they nudge a friend and they say, <laughs> hey, just tell tell everyone I'm king, as opposed to just standing up and going, hey, everybody, look I at mean, me. Does anything change except instead of that floppy hat, he now has a crown on that stencil? Is that is yeah, that all no that's going to no change? Bucket the hats. bucket hat is his crown. <laughs> Thank you. I do love me a good bucket hat. It's either a bucket hat or a Legionnaire's hat for me. You've got to protect your neck. So, yeah, he popped up in the news recently um, declaring that he's king. So I thought it'd be very interesting to know a little bit more about this self-proclaimed king of Victoria. I didn't know that we could just do that. Why haven't I been proclaiming myself king all this time? I I feel like you'll just end up being... Like the that gag from Monty Python's Holy Grail. It's like, but you're not democratically elected. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't right, choose exactly. you. It's like, no, I, w- I am the sovereign. I am chosen by God. It's like, no, you're not. I don't know. I'm, I'm very tempted now to start a Game of Thrones style war with Jim for the crown of Victoria. <laughs> Five kings Victoria. I'll back you. You've got to find the other f- three kings. Yeah, you know that, Jim. Winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> So Australia is the worst place for that thing. <laughs> I'm just sorry, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. There is no ice wall. Anyway, yeah. sorry. There's no ice wall. Mm. Yeah. Um, so without further ado, this is the story of Jin Penman, the true blue Aussie o- entrepreneur turned king of Victoria. 
So David Jim Penman was born in Stowbridge, England in May of 1952. But you could say his story actually began in a youth hostel in Wales where his mother Margaret met his, her future husband and father to her children, Tom Penman. I don't understand when people go by their middle name. That really freaks me out, particularly when both names are total basic bitch names, like David James. Like, I get it if you've got like a really like, you know, unusual name or like a name that people might not be familiar with and you're like, oh, it's just easier, you know, when you're giving your name to, like my name's Shirley, guys. So like yeah. sometimes it's just easier to give the barista a different name. <laughs> Otherwise it. you get Charlie, Sean, like all sorts of weird stuff that yeah. um, my name throws up. So like, I get that. But like when you've just got two normal names, what 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 was wrong with being David? Is Dave's mowing just not as catchy? Like was it focus grouped? I'm not sure. Um, I know that he's named David after his grandfather, um, and I, I'm pretty sure in all of his uh, literature that he puts out, it's David Jim. But that's, I think it's yeah, I think it's something just about Jim's mowing seems to roll off the tongue better than David's mowing or Dave's mowing. I'm sorry, literature? (laughs) (laughs) There's literature literature involved in this story. This feels like a very generous use of the word literature. Uh, I mean, it's what you call most academic papers. (laughs) (laughs) Literature. (laughs) Margaret meets her future husband slash father to her children, Tom, in a youth hostel in Wales. Um, she had just travelled to the UK from Scone, New South Wales, shortly after the end of the Second World War. There she hitchhiked solo before stumbling upon the aforementioned hostel. After meeting, the pair travelled together for some time before settling in Worcestershire. Uh, I hate this. Worcestershire. 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 Thank you. I can say it. I can. I have it in my head, and then I go to say it, and I butcher butcher it every time. I mean, I could be wrong. You know, get in the comments, send us letters, get on Twitter. I've heard people (laughs) literally just say Worcester. That's yeah, yeah, maybe. Worcestershire. Okay. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Yeah, Worcestershire. Anyway, Worcestershire, where they got married and had their first child, Jim's older sister, Lynn. Uh, now, before you start thinking this was some sort of meet-cute, come happily ever after, I think it's best to include this excerpt from Jim's biography. Quote, It wasn't romantic in any normal sense. Mum chose Dad because he didn't bore her and she thought she couldn't find anyone better. How could Bleak. That's so wow. nice. <laughs> I mean, we shouldn't, like, make fun of someone for settling in the 1950s, but, um, yeah... Leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Like you can do better, girl. I, yeah. I guarantee you can do better. Like yeah. Like, like she was actually quite an intelligent person. She was a teacher. Um, she came from a, a middle class background, so she was well educated. So, yeah, my my advice is always never settle, guys. Just that's right. Like don't <laughs> you know? Like I mean, if you if your son's a king, that means that she's the queen. Do you know what I mean? So like, don't don't settle, queen. Like. <laughs> The book would go on to say that Tom was extremely unsupportive, in particular when Margaret was pregnant and throughout her postnatal depression, which Jim goes into in in quite a lot of detail. Jim's biography, which was one of my sources for today's episode, is called Jim's Book, The Surprising Story of Jim Penman, Australia's Backyard Millionaire by Catherine Mullinchat. Um, And the book describes Tom as a product of British upbringing uh, a conscientious and concerned father, but not a softie. So, 
Why did, why did you need to include that? Like, that's just cooked. He's a British man in the 50s. <laughs> like, does, did that have to be said? Jim, shortly after that passage, even recalls a time where he stopped talking to his father for six months after an argument at the dinner table, which concluded with Tom telling Jim to shut up. Jim took it very literally. <laughs> so, as you can probably gather, very early on, not the best warmest sort of upbringing and family dynamic. I mean, they're British. Like, I feel like that goes with the territory. Yeah. Stiff upper lip and all that. Yes. Pip, pip. (laughs) When Jim was three, his family, which was now a brood of four children, including um, his older sister himself and his younger brother Chris and younger sister Gil, immigrated to Australia, settling in a commission home in Adelaide. There his father became a lecturer in engineering at Adelaide University, while Margaret played the unhappy housewife. At eight years old, Jim joined Cub Scouts, where he started doing bobber job gigs, which are odd jobs that you do around the neighborhood, such as gardening and of course, mowing lawns. Mm. This provided a valuable experience for Jim, as he was not very good at being a scout, and it actually laid down a, a sort of foundation for his future business exploits. The family returned to the UK briefly in the mid-60s. In England, Father Tom worked as uh, an atomic researcher in Berkshire, uh, while the kids attended school in Oxfordshire. It is here in England where Jim developed a passion for history, thanks to day trips to the countryside, visiting castles and ancient Roman remains. Mm. In 1966, the family returned to Australia first settling in Sydney before moving on to Melbourne the year later. Tom, who now had a cushy job at Carlton United Breweries, boo, (laughs) purchased a house in North Bolwyn and sent his boys to Melbourne Grammar while the girls went to Presbyterian Ladies College. I see you shaking your head. I just... (laughs) That he has marketed himself as this sort of like knock-around Aussie bloke and like clearly comes from this middle-class... You know, kind of upbringing. Yeah. That makes me. That makes me angry. They did one time live in a housing commission, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that that sort of broad sense of middle class, where mm. like you can be on the lower end of the spectrum and and live in a commission home, but then you mm. know the right job comes along. Like Tom leaves academia and gets a job at CUB. Mm. Boo. Um, I used to work in a bottle shop, and I hate CUB yeah. products. Um. Yeah, like it's like a switch. All of a sudden, you're mm. living in North Bolan, which, you know, if people don't know about North Bolan, is a pretty cushy yeah. suburb. Yep. While at Melbourne Grammar, Jim lost his faith in God and became agnostic, a characteristic which he carried for most of his life, and will come up again later. Jim recalls being unhappy as a teenager, unpopular, and disinterested in his classmates. He also disliked being physically close to others. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just I loved the at this college he lost his faith in God. Just like that immediate like as if that was a natural progression of like he attended this school immediately. Just no more faith. Reminds me of that bit in um High Fidelity where he's like, um, you know, I lost it all really about faith, dignity, about fifteen pounds. Like yeah. that's that's his experience of going to I'm Melbourne just imagining Grammar. This, like, Gaunt child at this school. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
<laughs> with no, just losing faith. Yeah, yeah. barely clinging on to life. He's, he's he does lost. not want to be touched. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he's just having such a bad time. Mm. Although he's, you know, he's moved up in like in terms of like the class structure and all of those things everything would suggest that he's having a better time and instead <laughs> he's sitting in the corner sulking because yeah. he doesn't get to mow lawns anymore i don't know if it was about the mowing lawns thing but um yeah i mean when you're a teenager that's generally when you sort of decide whether or not you actually have faith or not mm. um and mm. he's raised fairly religious i'm pretty sure the school he went to in adelaide was run by the church so no city of church is adelaide isn't it so yeah, yeah and i think it was sense. called like adelaide church school or something yeah, like that yeah, so probably church grammar um on one hand it's like not really surprising um but it's just it's just this really interesting sort of self-report or something like mm. when people normally write about themselves do they generally write themselves as this incredibly unpopular disinterested person who hates mm. being touched like i don't know yeah it's really interesting and like we should just say like uh like all of us have different faiths different experiences of mental um you know well-being and, and ill health so like we're not laughing at that but like this guy is clearly cooked so it's just a funny image yeah i mean it's like, like i don't particularly like being physically close mm -hmm. to other people but mm. i yeah. mean yeah, it's just a weird thing. Like, he's included this in his biography. Mm -hmm. um, so, in an era without the internet, he became an avid reader, reading up on his favourite subject, ancient history, but also developing an interest in biology. He had no ambitions for becoming an entrepreneur. In fact, his ambition in life was to become a sci-fi writer. Oh, really? Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, which I thought was a little bit of a pivot, considering you're studying history and then bio, and then, you know what, I'm going to write science fiction novels. Amazing. But, you know, it's like a sliding doors moment. Imagine what could have happened. Mm. I mean, he could have been the next L. Ron Hubbard, you I know? Was like, that <laughs> Good old I'm LRH. Like, I'm pushing it like. towards the L, uh, the L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> like, he could have started his own religion. And, yeah, and that's right. Was it seafaring colony? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He also says in his bio that he dislikes inequality and dreamed of a truly egalitarian society where professors would take out the trash and the cleaners would take turns in management which i thought was a very interesting quote after completing high school jim studied sociology at la trobe university and in 1974 began his phd his thesis aimed <laughs> I did not, this is just blowing my mind. Like, it, he's not I'm the sorry. Jim's mowing that I thought, you know? Like, I'm sorry, when you saw a man in a bucket hat... <laughs> I didn't immediately think PhD in sociology. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't my science fiction Well, that's either. your mistake. Yeah, that's right. Don't judge a book by its cover, guys. That's the lesson from Jim's mowing. It is very much that, isn't it? Um, mm. That that image of him on, on all these trailers and vans and stuff mm. sells a... Kind of sells a story. Yeah, that's right. But it's not exactly him, mm -hmm. which we'll uncover as we go along. His thesis aimed to look at character as a key to understanding history, or more accurately, the rise and fall of human civilizations. The idea behind this thesis is that broad patterns in human society are linked to changes in brain and hormonal activity. 
Now, if this hasn't pricked your ears up already, um, this thread of academia is also known as biohistory or epigenetics and can be quite controversial. I was just going to say, it sounds like we're talking about like social Darwinism at some point, right? Like it sounds like there's a physiological basis to societies rising and falling. I feel like that starts skirting some dangerous territory. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In 1981, his thesis was rejected. After rewriting the methodology section, he resubmitted it in 1983. A year later, it was accepted under the title Personality and Culture, but it didn't gain any, uh, any kind of traction in academic circles. Is it, yeah, I don't know, this is just so fascinating because all of a sudden it's sounding like borderline phrenology kind of stuff, like that you can determine people's characteristics by their biology, right? Is, there, is it like there's an element of that in the research or, yeah. I'm, I'm nodding and, and cringe. Yeah, <laughs> that is, this is wild. Like. It gets worse. While Jim received his PhD in history, Latrobe refused to fund any further research to test his theories because they were, in Jim's own words, too radical and too wild. So I just think it's this really interesting thing of Latrobe, which is one of Australia's biggest unis, it's quite open-minded and stuff, mm. and then getting this paper and being like, yeah, but we're not going to test this out. Yeah. Um, I haven't read it, mm. but I can only imagine what it's like. To quote this Vice article from 2019, to put it simply, Jim has a theory that the big shifts in society, i.e. wars, revolutions, influence of religion, etc., are explainable by changes in the brain and hormonal activity. As an example, Jim cites World War I. According to Jim, the Great War was brought on by a widespread hormonal change in the Austro-Germanic people in the 1880s which made them more aggressive and warlike. There it is. <laughs> like I Found knew it was coming. Yeah. Like, he's just like, oh some God. people are just more warlike than others. Like, that is wild. <laughs> yeah. And there's a weird part of me that thinks his paper might have had more traction now. I mean, back then it was, what, 35 years post-World War II. Mm. People were still mm -hmm. definitely uh, yeah. keenly aware of the dangers of these kinds of ideas. So I understand it being published but not necessarily recognised by yep. wider academia. Yep. But I could fully see this getting picked up today. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like all the like Richard Spencers of the world and all that mm. sort of stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, by some University of Austin shell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> What's yeah. that new university? Yeah, University of Austin, yeah. Yeah, which like hasn't even opened its doors, but apparently... Yeah, it doesn't yeah. really exist because it doesn't have students or... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, re yeah no, it's just I've got a bunch of researchers this. that publish a lot. It's It exists on paper and they want to make a mm. physical place, but... It doesn't exist mm. wow. tangibly yet. That's hectic. Rejected, Jim pivoted into the business that made him a household name. So according to him, starting with $24, Jim started setting up and selling lawn mowing rounds and taking on subcontractors. After managing to uncover the franchise system of rival mowing franchise VIP Home Services, Jim launched his own franchise, Jim's Mowing, in 1989. And I just... I look at that that sentence, like I had to reread it a few times. Managing to uncover the franchise system of a rival company. I just mm. wonder how he did it. I'm not insinuating anything, but like it's just it just seems a little strange to me. Yeah, it's just also like really weird that 
yeah, that it was around like lawn mowing routes like that. Like that's traditionally one of those things that like like I did when I was a kid, right? Like I used to mow neighbours' lawns for you know five bucks or or, or, or whatever, um, and that he's corporatizing and franchising something that yeah I don't know that that just seems really cooked to me as well. I didn't didn't realise that it was sort of started in that space. Hmm. I mean, I can understand what VIP are doing because it's it's more for like bigger lawns it's yeah yeah it's, it's like businesses that like need, landscaping yeah, almost it's landscaping. yeah yeah it's the kind of thing yeah. that would be cruel to do to a 12 year old yeah exactly <laughs> that's right 30 years on jim expanded the business into all kinds of stuff like jim's antennas jim's personal training dog walking fencing flooring it mobile tires even jumping castles jim's franchise covers over 50 divisions and operates not only in Australia, but in Canada, New Zealand and the United Kingdom, which I didn't know until I dove into this. In 2019, the business was reported to generate half a million dollars in revenue each year on the back of its 4,000 franchisees, roughly servicing 35,000 customers a day. So it's a huge enterprise what he's done. Mm. it's, It's nothing to sniff at. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like I think about this, like one of my favourite um, critical theorists of all time is a guy called um, Andre Gores. I'm not sure if either of you have come across him. And in his classic book uh, from 1989 as well, A Critique of Economic Reason, he talks about this. He sort of predicted the rise of like the gig economy, um, but like back in the 80s where he was talking about how we subject more and more aspects of our lives to economic ways of thinking. So bringing more and more things into the market. And like, yeah, just when you're laying out Jim's idea of, or Jim's empire, shall we say, that's really what he's done. Like he's he's really colonizing a lot of areas that we used to do ourselves. Like we're just subjecting more and more of these things to market transactions. Yeah, I know. I I feel very uncomfortable with all, all of that kind of stuff when, you know, we should be going the other way. Like here at Per Capita, we advocate for like a reduction of the working week and, um, you know, all, all of those sorts of things. Like we should be creating more time outside the market for ourselves, not more time in the market for ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, really, really fascinating. The way Jim's franchise kind of sells itself is that it's you, it's you operating a small business under his banner, which gives you the insurance and the training and the resources that you otherwise couldn't get. And again, when you see the absolute breadth of, of services that he will take on as part of his banner, it's, I think it's just wild. Yeah. It's, it's, any, it's, it's just about any kind of service you can think of. Mm. He's basically got... Uh, a franchisee working under that Jim's banner. I feel like there's going to be like Jim's toothbrushing at some point. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just... The commodifi- uh, was it the commodification of every single aspect of human existence? Yeah, it's, yeah. That's that's what Gauze talks about. Yeah. Yeah. This. Um, yeah, it's wild. I, I find it hard to wrap my head around. It's just... Mm. You just still think of him as mowing. Yeah, so that's right. It's yeah. weird when someone pulls up in a truck and it's IT, but it's yeah. Jim's IT. Yep. Mm. The point of Jim's franchise wasn't simply to make money mowing lawns. The aim was to actually generate enough cash so that Jim could fund his own research into the ideas that he laid out in his thesis. And in 2006, he set out to do just that. 
pledging $500,000 towards research conducted at La Trobe University's School of Psychological Science, which is much to the eye of, of, of people in and around La Trobe. But oh my God, it's amazing. Um, I guess when you have the money uh, and some backing, you can, you can do it. This is from The Age back in 2006. Their aim, so Jim's aim, is to determine whether behaviour can be influenced by the environmental factors that in turn alter hormone levels and the structure and activity of the brain. Initial laboratory experiments focused on whether it is possible to change the behaviour in female rats and their offspring by slightly reducing their food intake. Like that was one of the first experiments wow. he did. And a lot wow. of these exper experiments are on obviously like rodents and, yeah. you know, and the like. Jim has since increased his research budget to one million a year and testing has focused on developing treatments for drug and alcohol addiction, eating disorders and other behavioural con conditions. I think I've also found another article where he said he, he's not just doing this stuff with um, Latrobe, but he's doing it with RMIT and another institute. Mm -hmm. And he really tried to sell it as I'm an advocate for mental health and I'm a big proponent of helping people with depression, which makes sense because his mother obviously went through quite intense um, postnatal depression and he has friends who have you know, gone through their own sort of mental health issues. But to sell it as this thing of like helping people with depression or behavioral disorders, but also wanting to radically alter their behavior through it all smacks of social engineering to me, right? Like totally. it's the same stuff that like Henry Ford was interested in, you know, like and 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 Walt Disney and like Kellogg's. all of these like Ke Kellogg's as well. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. Kellogg's if you eat this particular food and mm. abstain from yep. uh, self-love. Yes. <laughs> That's right. he had other activities that he didn't like, but yeah, if you have this particular diet or mm -hmm. take this particular drug, mm. then you could be changed. Like yeah. Your behavior and just brain function changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick question. Is he funding like these specific research areas or is he funding the largest psych psychology departments and then... He's funding his research. Yes. Okay, got it. This is wild. This is way more wild than I thought it was going to be going into it. Like, and we're not even up to the self-proclaimed sovereignty. Yeah, I'm glad. I forgot about that. <laughs> like, yeah, Jeez. that's right. Like, that's how wild this is. This builds to him <laughs> declaring himself king, for God's it's sake. I love this. Like, yeah. This is from a Vice article back in 2019. Jim envisions a society where everyone's chemical and hormonal deficiencies have been corrected, making them completely functional members of society. And this is a quote from Jim directly. Imagine if the average person is what used to be considered extremely capable, if not a genius. We could make ancient Athens look like a stodgy small town. We never had had any human society ever that has lived up to human potential. Oh my God. Like, it's just like, we just need everyone to get to their potential. We just need to realize that there's a master. No, I'm not going to say it. Not going to say it. Like, <laughs> just, this is so wild. I mean, if he was into, um, say, uh, genetics, yeah. like actual biochemistry, and mm -hmm. was into CRISPR, which I think he does look into a little bit. Um, I think I saw it come up mm. in one of the articles that I was reading. But, um, 
yeah mm. it's it feels a little gattaca to me um, yeah just, just a touch well that's it it's just anything where you're trying to engineer a perfect society you're not recognizing yeah. the variability of humanity as a strength do you know what i mean like there is a right way to be a human and a wrong way to be a human in these worldviews and that's just inherently problematic and again, he's doing this from a biohistory perspective. Yeah. So he's drawing so much of his uh, his biases from learning about how Rome fell, yeah. about how uh, other mm-hmm. larger, uh, you know, well, Rome was one of the largest, but yeah. all, all these empires falling mm-hmm. apart. And he's like, well, how do we get the one empire that doesn't mm-hmm. fall apart? Is essentially what I'm yeah. reading from it. Yeah. But like I say, just all the most problematic <laughs> moments of history have come from that kind of thinking, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. And I, I didn't know about this stuff um, until I went to La Trobe. And mm. this this area of research, again, like would come up on the La Trobe socials mm. a bit. Like people would bring it up and say, when are you going to get rid of Jim? Yeah. And so, well, he's paying for this. So it's not like we can just stop him and he hasn't done anything particularly bad mm. like you can't oh, so I'm sure there's still they'll, they'll still be reporting to ethics committees there'll still be like reviews there'll be yeah. like panel oversight like, and all of that I'm, I'm sure it's like accountable yeah, but like, I yeah. get where people are coming from and it's just that like it's that classic thing of like just a little bit of scientific knowledge is so dangerous do you know what I mean like mm. it, understanding a small amount of something makes you way more dangerous than understanding a lot of, about something. And it just, I don't know, yeah, this it, it, it's not quite pseudoscience, but it's like it's bordering that really problematic mm. end of, um, like, say, social engineering, all that kind of stuff. It's also science with the agenda of finding a specific result. Yeah, it's that's not ha- it's 100% It's not being perfectly it. happy with either the hypothesis or the null hypothesis yeah. being correct. It's saying... I want one specific thing to be true, and because he's funding, and then trying to retrofit your methodology around. Because he's funding all of the research and all of the publication, he gets to decide which bits of the research become publicized. So Mm. the all of the research that says actually there's no impact or there's Mm. no difference here, or any of the research that doesn't support what he wants can just stay in a closet, whereas like everything else gets published. We all took the biggest, deepest side just yeah. then. Like. I mean, this is the problem in general with like, in the biggest of air quotes, like magnanimous benefactors in academia 100%. when they get to decide where the money goes and what gets published mm-hmm. and what doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just also wonder like, okay, so he proved this theory in rats and what's the next step? And like, how, do, how would you do that ethically? I just... Not sure where that would go. So this next quote is from the same article. In the next few years, Jim predicts that the West will continue its economic and moral decline, with China taking over the reins as the big world power, followed by a few thousand years of hegemony from a unified body of African states. This stuck out to me like a sore thumb. Yep. Mm. Yep. It's classic great replacement race theory, right? Thank you. It's really fucking problematic. (laughs) It was... Of all the things I've read of him so far, that stuck out so much. So it kind of, it's a bit of a mask off kind of statement for me to say, well, you're not doing this for for the purely altruistic thing of uh, 
correcting behavioural conditions that can and probably should be corrected. Mm. No, you're worried about the West and what Yeah, that that's means. right. Yeah, um, I mean, the West means white and yes. China and yes. a unified yes. African yes. state is everybody else. I mean, it's just it's straight out of the alt-right playbook, exactly. right? Like they, yes. they, don't, they don't necessarily say white, like the Richard Spencers yeah. and like the hard. I mean, it's not a dog whistle at this point. It's outright saying it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, like, oh, we're just about protecting Western ideals, you know? Like it's just, yeah, like, yeah. Whenever yeah. I'm confronted with that, I'm just like, but what exactly is that? Yeah, I'm yeah. Really coming from Australia, which is literally in the East. So yeah, 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 that's right. Australia, yeah, and the United States, which are nowhere near Western Europe. It's like, yeah, what do yeah, you mean 100%. right now? Everything's West of something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's there. It's when like I say moral, West, moral I mean everybody. But like for race. Everybody like. now. <laughs> oh, my God. Know what Eurovision's for? Yeah, that's right. Moving on. <laughs> um, from his research, Jim has self-published numerous books on biohistory and epic genetics. His work has also been critiqued as relying very heavily on racial stereotypes and often are cited and praised in racist and white supremacist journals such as the Occidental Quarterly and Mankind Quarterly which have hyperlinks, but I'm a, I didn't want that. <laughs> yeah, thing. that's right. You, you don't want that Ruin in your browser my, history. My, yeah. my algorithm. Yeah, 100%. This is so cooked. For example, in his 1992 book, The Hungry Ape, Jim <laughs> plays with the idea that different races and ethnic groups have distinct, in quotes, temperaments. Ugh. For example, and this is going to make you vomit in your mouth a little bit, Indigenous Australians are unsuited in general to the discipline of academic study and of many jobs. They have become a poor underclass. A high proportion are un- underemployed and the rest are in menial jobs. That Fuck this dude. That didn't Straight make up. me vomit in my mouth. That made me vomit in my soul. Like that's <laughs> fucking disgusting. When I read that I wanted to cry a little bit. Jesus Christ. Because you can see what he's doing. He is taking something that's relatively factual in that Yes, not a lot of Indigenous Australians get to go to university or, or complete academic study and a lot of them do have uh, more menial jobs as a result. Mm. But Because of structural inequalities, not because of I racial yeah. underpinnings like and their biophysical makeup. Genocide and co- yeah. colonisation and the stolen yeah. generation. And all of it. Well, yeah. Oh, my God. Perhaps, like, oh. perhaps I'm taking this out of context, but this is one of the, the, the main quotes that get ripped from this book a lot. And mm. um, I do wonder how he justifies what mm. he said. But there's even a part in the book where he says that black people's sexual behaviour is freer, which is ironic seeing as Jim himself has 11 children. <laughs> get it together, mm. honestly. Uh, and remember how I said before that um, when he was a teenager he became agnostic? Well, in the late 70s, he found the Creationist Church, mm. which, uh, if you don't know, is the Mormon Church. Yep. So now he's also a celibacy advocate. With so 11 he, children. So he had 11 kids is a celibacy advocate. That is Maybe this is why he wants to be king. Yeah. It's that whole thing of, like, you can't prosecute the king. <laughs> I just can do whatever I want, you know? But that's that right. means, like, 11 heirs to the throne. Yeah, that's right. That is There's some Game of Thrones, Thrones shit. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. During the 2020 pandemic, uh, Jim was and is still an outspoken critic of the COVID lockdowns yeah, here in Melbourne. Course. He publicly flouted the rules, encouraging franchisees to continue working despite the restrictions and obvious um, dangers of working in a pandemic. 
and penned many an angry letter to Premier Dan Andrews. He also tried to sue the Andrews government in a class action uh, in October that year uh, with Carbone Lawyers, which I always kind of giggle because Carbone Lawyers are like a sponsor of Channel 10 and it's (laughs) just like, it's kind of like this ambulance chasey kind of Mm. ad with these these guys in suits that don't really fit them being like... (laughs) We'll fight for you and stuff. And <laughs> if I ever need legal advice, I'm not getting it from these guys. Yeah. <laughs> they do not give me any confidence at all. Um, and I didn't see anything that came out of that case. Like he reckons he got um, 700 franchisees backing him in this class action. It's been three years and I have not seen. Yeah. And anything. can I just say, as a bio historian, self-proclaimed, by the way, mm. He knows the impact of like Play? pandemics yeah, on yeah, societies right. and how they can bring one to its knees. Yeah. And he's just like, no, that won't be the fall of our society. Mm. It'll be Asia and Africa and yeah, all that's those right. things. Be people of color having power. That's what he's worried yeah, about. Yeah, never mind that. the black plague or smallpox or anything else that's brought, you know, yeah, every society to come into contact with oh, its very knees. And I can yeah. only hazard a guess at what he thinks is the origin of. Oh, yeah, don't, uh, or yeah. even if the pandemic is real at all. Mm. Fast forward to March of 2023. Lockdowns have long since ended and any, if all, restrictions are gone as well. And again, that class action, quiet. However, Jim Penman has not forgotten. Jim Penman doesn't forget and is still demanding an apology from Dan Andrews right up until the 31st of March, where he declared if he did not get a public apology, he was going to declare independence from Victoria and become a sovereign citizen. And that's what he did. (laughs) On on the 31st, uh, he publicly announced that he was declaring independence from Victoria, just like the US declared independence from Britain in 1776. Are we sure? That's his words. Are we sure that it's not an April Fool's joke and he's just gone early? early. Just pull, pull the trigger a day early, like. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so deeply, but I think that might be. It didn't feel like true. one. Like it didn't feel like a joke. He's yeah. sitting there getting interviewed by the Age, literally saying, "Like I'm declaring independence from Victoria, just like the US did back in 1776." I get His the words, sense that he's like, the kind of person that's massively unintentionally funny. Yeah, like one right. of those friends who's just they're just like, "What? I don't, I don't get the joke," and everyone's yeah, dying everyone's laughing. laughing. He based his move off the eccentric West Australian Prince Leonard of Hutt River. He told he told the Sunday Morning Herald, quote, If you've got unjust an unjust and tyrannical government, you can succeed. I'm going to be the king. I'm going to be starting knighthoods and citizenships, and we're going to have our own stamps and our own flag. We're gonna raise money from men's sheds. <laughs> Okay, That's this is such a wild detail to have in there. Yeah, but you're already fun- funneling millions of dollars into like this epigenetic research. Just use it for that. And the second thing is, everyone, please, when you sign any contract with Jim's mowing, if they're gonna mow your lawn or whatever, please read the fine print. Your backyard might be the sovereign land of Jim himself. This is just so yeah, insane. Yeah, just scared of any kind of. Um hidden things that you'll have in there just being like also you're you're (laughs) resigning your right as victorian citizen and you're now part of gym land Mm. the interview ended with this nice little quote from jim 
We're not on Australian. We just don't like Victoria. Which is like, what? Like, there are other states already, champ. Yeah. Like, yeah. if you don't like it, fuck off. Just <laughs> move to WA. They already tried to sustain Yeah, that's it. right. Jeez. I mean, your views would fit in very well when uh, Lang Hancock, um, Gina <laughs> Reinhardt's father, who she inherited everything from, he advocated the sterilisation of uh, First Peoples because they were, you know, um, an inferior race that, you know, all, all of that sort of racist bullshit. So... <laughs> Great company for Jim. Yeah, that's right. He could just hang out with Mm. Prince Leonard. Yeah, that's right. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that he has this sprawling compound and does all of his research right in the Dandenong Ranges, like close to Fern Tree Gut. Like that's so much closer than I thought it would be. Something I didn't mention before, but he started his own research institute with the guy who ran his research at La Trobe. So he's left... Or he's working at both. I can't, I can't quite recall which which is which. But yeah, he started his own like psychological research institute oh separate from Latrobe as well. This is so, so wild. I mean, I probably should have dug a little deeper to see if he still is doing research directly with Latrobe. I have a feeling that he might not be doing that anymore, considering he started his own I institute. But considering like, he's starting his own country, that seems. And now yeah. you're starting your own country. <laughs> um, Got to get that economy going. Yeah, that's you know? right. Yeah. Exactly. But what is like sheds? Like from people's sheds. Yeah. Why sheds? Yep. You're a multi-billion, uh, multi-millionaire. I'm, yep. I'm sure you could just buy those little eco houses and just set up a – like you said, he's already got a compound. Mm. Nothing good happens at a compound, people. I'm just going to put yeah. it out there. Like just, you know, nothing <laughs> good comes like from compounds. Nine times out of ten. Yeah. yeah. Not, not good. Yeah. So it's now – we're almost in the middle of April and not much else has come out of this story since. But I just thought it was a completely batshit cooked piece of recent Australian history and I really felt like I needed to share. 100%. This has been my favourite episode so this far. Is this is so insane. so amazing and terrible and once. Again, it's like this little thing – like we, everybody knows Jim, but they mm. don't know Jim. Yeah, I didn't know mm. any of this stuff. Yeah, I we just need to get to know David, the real man. Know. Yeah, David, that's right. Mr. Penman. Yeah. Yeah, so. Also, I, I've just come out of this as being Team Margaret. His mum sounds like she went through so he, much shit. And yeah. He speaks very highly of her. And yeah. He, that's one of the things out of the bio that I kind of got was the, there's a deep – uh, love and respect for that woman and yeah. I feel like she earned it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um there's a bit of respect for his father, but it's not it's not the same as this this man's love for his mum. <sighs> I mean she like, there's so much else. Like this guy's burnt his sister. His sister used to work for him and what? he fired her. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, he fired her. That was like another story. Um there was something else that he did that popped up in my head. What do you mean like, he oh. burnt her? No, I mean like Metaphorically. Oh, okay. They, she, she was in a prominent position in the in the company and he fired her. Okay. He actually, that's what I was going to say. He has a very uh, strong reputation as like this hard ass that like the turnover mm. rate at gyms is very high. I he, believe it. I won't mince words. I'll tell you to your face that you're blah, blah, blah and mm. you'll lose your job, that kind of thing. And mm. the amount of times he even brought up in his yeah. bio that like I used to be bullied so I'd get into fights. It's like I feel like that kind of reflects yeah. the high turnover rate thing. Yeah. He has Jesus. a real, perhaps the strongest Shit. will survive his mentality shoulder. towards his management. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's uh, that's where we leave mm. it. I, I simply wanted to enlighten people on that weird 
unit that is Jim Penman. So you now can all feel the same feeling of disquiet I do whenever I see that green and yellow stencil spiraling at me. Absolutely, yeah. I'm just going to think of his mum who had to like yeah, settle for one of seven men who survived World That's War II right. in England, <laughs> yep. you know? Yeah, hashtag Queen Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> Get it trending, everyone. Yeah. That is wild. Okay, well, that's, yeah. that's another fantastic episode in the book. I books. wonder what his, like, and like Professor Dad thinks of it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, Didn't get that far into bizarre. it. Bizarre. Anyway. Yep. <laughs> Just focused on him. That's Abs- it. Absolutely wild. Well, um, that's it for another episode of Cooked. Uh, make sure you get around per capita on your favourite social media. Um, Beck, where can they find us on our social medias? Oh, we're on every platform. It's basically search per capita or per capita Australia and we will be there. Uh, We've just uh, started releasing our recap series, um, which is available on Apple. It's available on Deezer, Stitcher. Um, Where else can you get it? YouTube. Uh, It's on a bunch of places. So look out for that as well. Um, And, yeah, we'll be posting more stuff more regularly as we go along. Yeah, so anything you can do to get around us, you know, like us on social media, um, subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app. Um, if you if you feel like it, you can donate to help us keep making fantastic content like this that you'll enjoy. Uh, we're a not-for-profit, um, so make sure you go to www.percapita.org.au and look for the donate button. But that's it for another episode of Cooked. I've been Shirley Jackson with Sam and Bex. Try, try not to engage in... Great replacement race theory, everybody. Uh, it's always bad. Yeah, hire a neighborhood kid. <laughs> up mow your lawn. Jeez. Just mow it yourself. That's good. Just mow it yourself. See you guys. Bye. This show is a production of Per Capita, the independent progressive think tank dedicated to fighting inequality in Australia. We'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was written and recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, whose lands were never ceded, and we pay our respects to their elders past and present.